the Locked On Leafs podcast, one-stop shop for all things Leafs. I'm your host, Mike DiStefano from TSN 1050 Toronto Radio, also known as Al's brother on TSN's Overdrive. Hit me up on Twitter at Mickey underscore Canuck. Follow the show as well at Locked On Leafs. And if you like what you hear today, please consider subscribing to the podcast. Uh, we do episodes each and every day. Uh, leave a review, leave a rating as well, uh, and all that good stuff. Uh, today, we're going to be joined by Dave Morissuti. Dave, what's going on, pal? Not much. Uh, busy, busy Friday night on the sports calendar, man. It's it's crazy how things have gone, made a full 180 the last few months. I know, it's crazy. We got, you know, we got uh, Eastern Conference Final, Game 3. We've got Game 7 between the Raptors and the Celtics, and, and you know, we're getting this thing recorded right before tip-off for the Raptors game. I'm telling you, this we're going to keep this short so that I can get ready for the Raptors game because it's a whole process. It really is. And I'm excited for that one tonight. So uh, I can't wait. Are you Who do you think is going to win tonight? I hope you're pulling for the Raps. Uh, I mean, you have to pull for the Raps. I mean, th- this series is close as it's been. I mean, Boston has put out their best, and I don't even think the Raptors have had everyone put out their best. So I, that's where I'm a little more optimistic on the Raptors. I'm with you. I'm with you on that. I think that, like, Toronto... They, they haven't had uh, uh, you know everybody clicking yet. You know, like Pascal has not showed up at all. Freddie's been spotty. The only guy who's really gone out and, and has been Mister Consistent through the entire series is Kyle Lowry. If he can just get some help from everybody else, just give them a game seven, uh, her last hurrah to keep their their back to back championship reign alive. I think that they stay in a pretty good shot. At uh, at beating Boston tonight, I will say uh, whatever happens tonight, you know whether they lose, whether they win. Hopefully they do win. Uh, go check out the Locked On Raptors podcast hosted by uh, Sean Woodley. He does a great job there uh, doing daily shows for all your Raptors fans out there. But let's get back to hockey. Let's get onto the ice and let's actually react to this breaking news that we received. Not even two minutes before we started recording this podcast. And that's Pittsburgh uh, making some moves here. They trade out Minnesota boy Nick Bukestad to the Wild in exchange for a 2021 seventh round pick. And Pittsburgh also looks like they'll be retaining $2.5 million of his $4.1 million contract. So just a hair under 50% of this deal uh, being retained. Uh, This literally just happened, so you're initial raw thoughts i mean the penguins are are clearly still clearing these there's you you knew they were going to be doing a lot of a lot of changes after some disappointing exits um it's weird though because you don't know who exactly you feel like is safe and not safe at this point um i mean busag with one year left on his contract i doubt he was going to be brought back anyways because you know this team is looking to probably get younger and you know whatever you know salary they're able to uh, get off the books there will certainly help fill other needs that this team has. Uh, you know with some, you know they got to make a decision on their goaltending. They gotta, you know, figure out some way to add more youth. I think to this team and uh, whatever you know. I know it's a conditional pick, and they're gonna retain about half of the salary. So. Whatever assets they can get at this point for a guy that I guess they feel didn't fit the mix is uh, is worth it for them. Which is kind of weird. Like when when they first acquired him last year from the Florida Panthers, I thought that was a great move. I, I really liked it. They shored up 
uh, what they had down the middle, picking up Nick Bukestad to be a third-line center. And I don't know if you remember early on in his career when he was with Florida, I thought that he was going to be a, a great player. Like, I thought he could be a true, maybe even as high as a top-six player who's definitely trending towards that way. And for whatever reason, you know, fell out of favor in Florida. And then once he got to Pittsburgh, never really picked up the pieces after that either. Now heading to his third team uh, in in as many years, actually. Uh, now going to Minnesota. He's a Minnesota boy, uh, born in, in Blaine, Minnesota, which I've been to. they got a really nice hockey rink out there. I've done uh, every year I go to a, a hockey tournament. I do play-by-play, and it's held in Blaine, Minnesota. Uh, so it's it's a good hockey state. And uh, Bukestad going back to see his family, going back home, going to play for Minnesota. I, I like this move for, for both sides, to be honest. I think Pittsburgh, uh, they create – $2.6 million worth of cap room, which they desperately wanted to do. Uh, it seems like they're going to be one of the teams that are going to be looking to shed some salary heading into next season. We'll talk about that a little bit later in the show. Um, but, you know, so that move does that. And it also gives Bukestad uh, just, you know, a, a chance to find himself again. You know, a fresh start for Bukestad, which... I still think that he's a quality NHL. I think he could still be a quality third-line center. Maybe he plays the fourth line, but I think that he could be a, a really good bottom six centerman in this league uh, who can you know play a solid defensive role for, for a team like Minnesota. So I, I like this move for both sides. Many, they're just taking a one-year flyer, uh, and, and Pittsburgh, they're shedding some salaries. So it's kind of a win-win. Yeah, I you know, Bukestad was an interesting player for me because I felt like he was a very versatile player that could, Definitely. you know, be a third-line center that can bump up as a second-line center, which is the reason why Pittsburgh got him in the first place because of the injuries Evgeny Malkin was dealing with. So I think for Minnesota, this, you know, this is a team that desperately needs improvement up front. Like, they, their four group need some work. You know, they've tried to solve that by throwing money at guys like Matt Zuccarello, which hasn't really worked out yet. I know it's only been a year, but a guy like Bukestad brings brings a different element in that versatility. And, you know, they've they've taken chances on guys from other teams that have been kind of cast-offs. I look at a guy like Ryan Donato, uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, Alex Galchenyuk, they've, they've tried that. Uh, there's another player I'm thinking of that's not coming to my head right away. But it, it seems to be the MO of this team is trying to maybe bring back bring in guys who have had potential and just hadn't fulfilled it with other teams and seeing if that can work this time around. And when you get a guy for, you know, the price that, you know, Minnesota was able to get him for with, you know, his salary being reduced... It helps. It does help, it, you know, especially, you know, guy being, as you said, a guy from Minnesota, it only should motivate him more so now. I'm, I'm looking, taking a look at the roster here, and it's, you actually mentioned that. I didn't realize how many cast-offs are on this team, but Matt Zuccarello signed him to a, a contract last offseason. I do recall that one, but Victor Rask, he may have been the guy that you were thinking of, another yeah. one of those cast-offs. Uh, he's got two more years left on his contract uh, at $4 million, and, and he's somebody who I'm not particularly high on. I don't know if you are, but I know I'm not particularly high on him. Uh, Ryan Hartman, another one of those guys who just kind of didn't really turn out to be much of anything after 
fetching a first-round pick at the deadline a couple of years ago. Um, you, you already talked about Donato, uh, Galchenyuk, and, and I think the captain, Miko Koivu. Now, does this mean that Koivu's not going to be coming back? He's a UFA at the end of the year, and, and I already named off. We got you know Victor Rask, Eric Stahl, uh, Joel Erickson-Eck, Nico Sturm. You, you, know, you could also toss Ryan Donato in the center conversation. You add Nick Bugstad in there. There's not really a spot now for for Koivu. Maybe maybe he's moving on. Maybe he's gonna be uh, gonna be retiring. And this was a chance for them to try and solidify uh, an, another role, I guess, to 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 take over his job uh, as a bottom six forward at this point in his career. Yeah, I mean, for for me, I feel that and another guy they brought in too, Kevin Fiala, in that highly well, debatable trade with the Predators. Yes, that um, one has worked out, and that yeah. one was more of a youth trade, and they didn't bring in a castaway. They brought in a kid who at the time, I believe, was 22 years old and mm-hmm. uh, had a bright future. So it, it, it's a little I think it's a little different with Fiala, and I'm a big Fiala fan, big I time. Too. I think this kid's going to be a stud. That was a big pickup. It was. It was even scrutinized a little bit based on what they gave up. Oh, it was. I, I was. I was actually in favor of Nashville when that trade first went down. But over the course of the year, I've totally, totally changed my my opinion on that trade. I, I think Fiala's going to be a stud. Oh, I yeah. I've I've been a, a huge Fiala fan ever since he was uh, drafted. Um, and with the with the thing about Miko Koivu, you know, this is a guy who's been there his whole career. You know, he's. He's had a very decent career. I know it's it doesn't spark, you know really come out a lot because he plays in Minnesota and he doesn't know that team doesn't get a lot of attention up here in Canada. But Nico Koivu has been a very solid player for them for years. So I mean maybe they're already anticipating he's not coming back. He's planning on retiring. I don't see him going to another team. He feel it's it seems like he's just one of the one of those players that would stay with one team forever, like he has. Maybe he considers coming back on a cheap deal, and you know they they just I mean a guy like him that's been their leader for so many years they find a spot for him. Um, but yeah, I think this is this is in preparation potentially for for him to not come back. Let me tell you guys a little bit about Built Bar. It's the best tasting protein bar ever. You know, it doesn't have that weird, chewy, chalky taste that regular protein bars have. It actually tastes like a candy bar. And the new and improved Built Bar is even more delicious. They got six new flavors. Caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry barcia, lemon almond cheesecake, carrot cake, and apple almond crisp. And that's on top of the 12 original flavors, uh, peanut butter, mint brownie, salted caramel, and of course, my other favorite, the peanut butter brownie. All the bars are covered in 100% chocolate, some nuts, some nut-free. They're soft, they're easy to chew, and best of all, the Built Bar is healthy. It's great for the health-conscious guy who's looking to lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat. Bars are low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, high-fiber, and great for the keto diet. And here's the kicker. This week only, a free cooler with a purchase of Built Bar protein bars while supplies last. A free cooler with every purchase. Go to BuiltBar.com, use the promo code Locked On, and you'll also get $10 off your next order. Use the promo code Locked On for $10 off at BuiltBar.com. This is the Locked On Lease podcast. We are... Reacting to some uh, recent breaking news as of, you know, the time we are recording this episode of uh, Nick Bukestad being sent from Pittsburgh to Minnesota. Um, so to move on a little bit and kind of talk about the other 
part of this, which is Bukestad uh, shedding the salary from Pittsburgh. This has become a, a big story right now around the Hockey League, and Frank Saravalli from TSN uh, wrote a piece on it yesterday. And as high as 17 teams reportedly looking to cut salary, uh, whether it's on ice or off the ice, heading into next season. And one of those teams, surprisingly, is the Pittsburgh Penguins. And and it's kind of funny, a, a totally true story. I kid you not. I was reading this, just kind of getting, you know, preparation for the show and, and do my due diligence. And I was reading this, this article from Sarah Volley, and I said, I read uh, to myself where it says, let me find it really quickly. Uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins are reportedly planning to budget in the low to mid $70 million range on an eight $81.5 million limit. So, you know, they're looking to go low to mid uh, 70. So I'm like, man, they got to shed some salary. How are they going to do that? Who's going to go out? One, two, three, ding. And I see the notification on Twitter that the trade just went through. I kid you not, not even three seconds later. And uh, I, re- I quickly realized how they were going to shed salary, which is funny. But it's kind of interesting that a team like Pittsburgh, who's in win now mode, a team who's won a couple of cups recently, you would assume has made a decent amount of money, and even they are feeling the effects of COVID, and their owners aren't willing to put the money uh, into the on-ice product or or off-ice product as much as you would think, and now they're trying to shed salary, and, and this could be uh, one of one, you know, the first of of many moves in order to get to that seventy to seventy four million dollar budget for uh, for the Penguins for their their internal cap. And there's going to be a lot of teams now with an internal cap. Uh, what are your thoughts on on this? And and I guess did you expect this to to happen? I, I always remember that Pittsburgh isn't exactly the most cash uh, rich team in the league. I mean, they're probably a lot better now than when, you know, they had that whole saga back with the Crosby lottery and how that kind of saved their franchise. I think, you know, certain certain owners have realized that, you know, the, this COVID-19 pandemic has severely impacted the business of a lot of teams. Uh, a lot of teams that, you know, Pittsburgh is a little bit surprising, but maybe because they realize that there's certain budget shortfalls and they just have to they, they have to be a lot smarter with what they're spending. Uh, it doesn't surprise me in that regard. Um, it's 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 a little tough to to hear if you're a fan, right? If you're hearing that your team is uh, not expecting to really push for it salary wise. But I mean this this these past few weeks, Pittsburgh has been in a very weird spot because you know it seems like they want to get better. But the vibe from the players is that they feel like this is kind of their last chance to really do anything because they feel like they're kind of at the top, like oh, getting over that hill of being competitive. So it's it's a very weird situation that that Rutherford finds himself in, and the the money stuff, you know, I it, it's it is certainly surprising that you know a team of Pittsburgh's caliber isn't going to try to really push maybe for this year, and they're considering not bringing in as much salary, but in today's NHL, there are ways to get around it. There are teams that have uh, structured contracts so that they can, you know, pick up a guy who does have maybe a bigger cap hit, but the actual money they're bringing in is not a lot. And you and I have discussed this in the past uh, before. So I think you're going to see a lot of that. I I mean, one team I'm looking at 
especially is uh, Florida, <laughs> and you can even add Arizona to the mix. Well, what about uh, the Ottawa Senators? I don't think Eugene is looking to strike, uh, stroke many, many checks this this winter. No, I don't think so either. Um, if you're the NHL, you got to figure out a way to tell these owners that you know. Well, did yeah. you see? Did you see? Actually, it was part of this article as well that apparently he cut the coaching salary by fifty percent. And the coaches had to go to the NHL and basically lobbies for them to get some of that money back. And the NHL ended up, I get giving them some of their money back. Uh, let me let me find the exact the exact quote here. But like it's insane that yeah, I just found it. Um, it says quote after seeing their pay reduced by fifty percent, nearly twice more than the next highest reduction in the NHL. The Ottawa Senators coaching staff appealed to the NHL for relief. With the NHL's involvement, Senators coaches were recently reinstated to full pay retroactive to July 13th, the opening date of training camp before the league returned to play in Edmonton and Toronto. So, like, that's just wild to me that they he literally cut their salaries by 50%. Jeez. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's so unfair to these... Uh to these coaches because it's it's not it's out of their control and you know some of these businesses have been impacted i i i understand that there's Definitely. you can't expect things to not change but you know 50% is is quite hefty like that's not that's that's not insignificant it, well, it, you also had in in Arizona where they failed to to um, make the on-time signing bonus payments to a number of their players right so Arizona was having issues pumping out money back to their guys on time. Um, and, and now this latest report says that they might be operating with an internal cap south of $70 million. Yeah, that's... And, and they've got... And they they were the ones trying to... You know, Taylor heard Hall. They want to bring back Taylor Hall. <laughs> How are you going to get that? under 70 and re-sign Taylor Hall? Re-sign Taylor... Unless you're gutting your entire roster, which... I don't know about you. If I'm Taylor Hall, if I'm seeing that your team doesn't want to spend money yet they want to sign you, and he said he wants to be in a competitive situation. I the 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 uh, how's the proper the puzzle pieces are not exactly fitting right now in terms of the Arizona Coyotes and their pursuit of uh, Taylor Hall. Free agency in this whole offseason is going to be interesting with all these teams looking to either shed salary that they currently have or not take on additional salary through free agency or through trade, I think that there are going to be some teams that are, A, going to really benefit from this. And I think the Toronto Maple Leafs are actually a team who can benefit from this. Would you agree? I mean, of course. they. they this team has found ways, maybe in uh, that other teams haven't done as good of a job, of bringing in revenue in other ways. I mean, look, Scotiabank Arena, that that uh, arena deal alone brings them a lot of money. Uh, they, they've got so much sponsorship money coming in. Uh, they have, and just the way that they, again, the way they have structured deals too, makes it a lot easier for them to say, okay, we'll trade you this guy who's on paper, you know, cap hit wise is making this, but you're only paying this. We'll take a guy that maybe is coming in around the same cap hit, but the actual money being paid is a lot is 
you know, a lot more than what we're giving you guys. So I feel like that's a, that's a clear advantage to a team like the Leafs who, I I mean, I've heard that the Leafs may not go right up to the cap because they want to have some flexibility to add at the trade deadline, and it's not really much of a of a you know money situation, but more so of a flexibility situation. So I, if you're the Leafs right now, you're you're kind of you know you got your hands, you're rubbing your hands together, just waiting to see what you can uh, what you can take advantage of. Well, I think there's two big things that can really help the Leafs out with this certain circumstance. First of all, free agency. I don't think there's going to be a lot of suitors out there that are, that are going to be bidding up. I don't see a lot of bidding wars this year just based on the nature of where we are in the market. It seems like teams aren't going to be willing to spend much money. And, you know, the guy. I feel for the guys like Petrangelo, like Taylor Hall, you know, a lot of these players, Braden Holpe, Jacob Markstrom, who have gone years and years and finally hit the unrestricted free agent market and now they're doing it in a season with COVID, and and they're not going to be able to capitalize like I think we all envisioned them to do it. And I think that's where the Leafs actually will be able to benefit from it. So instead of of a guy like Petrangelo, who maybe in a in a normal year could command somewhere in the neighborhood of ten million dollars a season, maybe now since there's not much out there and and no teams are willing to spend ten million on a player. Now maybe you can get a player of that caliber for cheaper. Get him for like an eight million bucks, or go and get yourself a goaltender like Markstrom for a million and a half or two million cheaper than you would have in a, any other given year. You know, so I think that free agency this could play into their into the advantage of the Leafs. I also think in the trade market, look, if teams are going to be looking to move out salary, most players who are on high salary deals are good players. You've got. You know, your odd guys who are, who are you know, underperforming what their contract is. And I don't think those players will be guys who are going to be uh, attractive trade pieces unless, of course, you look at the difference between salary and actual dollars owed. I think about Louis Erickson where he's underperforming, but he's only actually owed, uh, I think it's like $2 million this season if the Canucks were to trade him. So I think... I think he may actually be an asset to these teams who can be looking to get to the floor. Uh, but I think that there's other players, skilled players, good players who are making, um, you know, making a lot of money that the Leafs will be able to go out and just gut and acquire these guys for pennies on the dollar just because the owners are like, look, you got to shed salary. You got to get what you can. And it's not going to be a seller's market. It's going to be a buyer's market. And if the Leafs are one of the handful of teams that are going to be in the buying category, I like their chances of doing some damage and really flexing their financial muscles this offseason. Yeah, I mean, we're not expecting them to try to move out Mitch Marner or any, or even William Nylander. I feel like that's, based on what I've been hearing, like that seems like see an unlikely situation either. Uh, so I'm I'm really curious, you know, and if you're a free agent right now, where you know salary might be a tough thing for you to get, if a team like the Leafs offer you, you know, a decent salary, but most of it is up front, I think you're better off taking the certainty of that deal than, you know, what other teams might be trying to offer, especially if there are a lot of you know bonus laden deals and all that and those things. I think that's one thing the Leafs have to do is they have to be willing to show free agents that the financial commitment that they can offer is going to be a lot better than what other teams can. Definitely. And, and, and I'm taking a look at Toronto. 
Uh, currently, as it sits, they're going into next season with, I believe, they got just over $6 million in cap space. They still do have to sign, you know, Mikheyev and possibly Evan Rodriguez and, and Travis Dermott um, and somebody else. Who else they got to sign? And uh, that's pretty much it, actually, because Cody Cece and Barry probably going to end up walking, and I don't think they bring back Mulgan or Gauthier. Um, so I think those guys are really the only ones that you got to get signed. And then you think about it, they have another couple of players who I think could be in play here to open up a little bit more space if they want to try and move these guys out. Um, and I look at a guy like Andreas Janssen and just the way that um, things are kind of paid out by the Leafs, you know, when it comes to bonuses, uh, the Leafs over the next two seasons – uh, this year he's got a decent base salary, two point six million. But then after that, it's only seven hundred fifty thousand of actual base salary. So you know they may be able to move out a guy like Andreas Janssen. First of all, good player, so it's certainly not a cap dump, uh, and you should be able to get something for him. But the fact that you know it's a two point six million dollars that they have to pay him this season, but it is a three point four million dollar cap hit. So it's one of those things again where it's we're increasing our cap, but paying as little as possible and there's going to be a lot of teams who are going to be looking to do that yeah I mean this is the other thing too then we've heard the reports that the Leafs are not exactly looking to throw away guys that maybe they were in the past like they're actually trying to retain as much oh, value I, I'm not saying these are cap dumps I'm saying these are going to be trades that are going to be made but but these are going to be more attractive pieces yeah. than maybe it would be in, in any other year just because you know the actual money that you got to pay these guys are going to be less than than what the cap hit is going to be if you are a floor team or an internal cap team. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and that that's the part. That's probably um, when you look at Janssen, he's he's got a very attractive deal, and you know this is where Kyle Dubas got a, probably more out of Kasperi Kapanen in the return than maybe he's gotten in other deals, just because Kapanen was still viewed as a good player, but his contract, if you're a lot of teams, especially ones that don't have, you know, a lot of a lot of money to spend on players right now, he's an attractive piece. Andreas Janssen, you know, maybe not as much just because of the injury and you just you know he's a bit older than Kapanen as well. But he's still got value. I mean the Leafs will gladly bring him back if a team doesn't trade for him and it will alter what they do on the blue line a bit because I think that's where they want to you know, subtract so they can add. But, you know, I think the Leafs don't feel as much pressure to move out at the salary that they were, you know, last year when they had to move out Marlowe for and, and no. attach a pick along with it, which I don't think you're going to see the Leafs be doing that for a long time. No, and there's no, you know, like albatross deals out there that they need to do. Like, they, do they need to move Janssen? No, they don't. He could play. He is an NHLer. Like, it's not like he's just a, a scrub fourth liner. Like, he's a guy who can play up and down your lineup. Alex Kerfoot played a very serviceable role for the Maple Leafs. Like, he's a third-line center. So I'm not saying that these guys are cap dumps that you can just cast away just to get rid of their cap. You are expected to get a decent return for these guys. I'm just saying that they're more attractive going forward than maybe they would have been in any other year just based on the way that their contract is structured. That's that's pretty much all, all I'm saying there. But I, I really do believe, and, and Freddie Anderson too, I think Freddie is, he just got paid $4 million of his $5 million contract. So if they want to trade Freddie, which we know it's going to be a goalie carousel 
this this offseason. And if he's a guy who's involved in this carousel, I think that makes him way more attractive than maybe any other goaltender out there on the market. Because this season, in this specific season where you haven't had any revenue for basically a year, you only have to pay a guy $1 million next season. That's it. Everything else has been paid up front. That's very attractive if I'm a cap team. Exactly. I mean, he's a starting he's a starting goaltender on any team in the NHL. Like the and, and the thing is, is the Leafs don't aren't you know jumping the gun to trade him. They're just they're trying to see if there is a, a way that they can move him while also maybe finding you know another option. Like they they they're not like you know trying to pressure teams to take him. They just want to gauge his value, see if what they can get you know makes sense for them you know, asset-wise, and maybe flip some of that for another goalie that, you know, they can commit to for a longer-term period and just gives them something different. They're just looking for a different look. They're not looking for, you know, they're not looking to take a step back. And and I feel like if they trade Freddie, you know, it's just such an attractive trade ship they have. Like, the Carolina Hurricanes, when you hear that they're a team that's interested... Of course they are. You know, they're a team that they're one of those teams I feel like that are going to have to do something salary-wise because they just don't like they're, they're not a, a team that likes to spend a lot of money. And when you can get a goalie of Frederick Anderson's caliber at $1 million and that's a team that's trying to push to contend, I feel like the Leafs can can kind of squeeze them a bit and get as much value out of Anderson. I think that's why you know, you're hearing them as a very interested uh, trade partner right now. Oh, and they could say, hey, remember uh, last year when you ended up with our first overall pick? Yeah, we're going to make sure that we get some value out of this deal as well. <laughs> I think they could flex those muscles for sure. Also, just coming down on the wire, it seems like uh, the Lady Bing has been awarded, and it went to Nathan McKinnon, and I'm a big fan of that. Nate McKinnon, your 2020 Lady Bing Award winner. Uh, Nathan McKinnon is one of I, I've always liked this guy. I mean, even when he was not exactly reaching his full potential, when he was he was hovering around the uh, how how much was he go? He was probably in like the fifty point range. Just yeah, kind fifty of, to sixty. You know, he he he's a guy that, as we found out, he was kind of getting him getting in his own way. Then it was really anything else. And once he kind of sorted out his own his own uh, internal how would we put it, some of his, you know, he went to see a psychologist because he was battling certain things. Once he kind of got over that, like that, he just turned another gear, you know, and what we saw from him in the playoffs, like this isn't even, you know, he had such a good season that he was very deserving of the Lady Bane, and then in the playoffs, he just, he, he took his game to another level, and I don't think anybody will say that he didn't deserve uh, deserve this award. Um, I know Austin Matthews was on uh, was one of the nominees for the for the award, and it would have been nice to have him get it. But given that Nathan McKinnon, based on how much he plays, didn't take as many penalties, still put up the production, and I mean him him and Matthews are, are were kind of similar that they don't exactly put their teams in tough binds by taking bad penalties, and they play a pretty responsible game. It's just you give Nathan McKinnon the edge just based on, you know, he, he, he takes his game is at, a, is, is at a higher level than Matthews, in my opinion. I don't know if that's 
too much of a hot take, but I feel like he's just very deserving of that award. Speaking of, you know, Austin Matthews and defensive forwards and and two-way guys, uh, we also had the Selkie Award that was given away uh, last night. And if you're not following along, the the NHL, they're not having an award ceremony this year for obvious reasons. Um, So they're kind of doing what the NBA has kind of always done, where they just kind of string along oh, this guy has won this award, this guy has won that award. I'm not a fan of the format, to be quite honest with you. I prefer the one big show, and and it kind of just gives the spotlight to somebody um, on live TV, and, and it, I don't know, I, I like it better that way as, as opposed to what they're doing now because, you know, oh, cool, Couturier won the Selkie, and he gets his, you know, 30 seconds of, oh, great, get the retweet, and they kind of forget about it. But um, I just want to take a quick peek at, at the Selkie trophy uh voting here uh the voting hasn't really come out yet for the lady bing or i haven't seen it yet so i do want to talk about the way that the selkie went down though because um couturier got it no wait this is for last year what? yeah it was uh no couturier got no, it yeah, yeah couturier yeah so couturier ended up uh getting it here and there was a couple of leafs on the ballot why can't i see I think Chris and Shelton ha- had tweeted out the ballot. If you're looking for uh, a tweet, a tweet including the the uh, voting. Yeah, so I was I was, and I don't know why the other ballot wouldn't have showed up. There it is. Okay, here we go. Uh, yeah, so Nathan McKinnon. That's late. Oh, the Lady Bing ballot has come out. Austin Matthews, number two on the Lady Bing. Wow, he beat out Ryan O'Reilly. He beat which out Ryan O'Reilly. Me- Ryan O'Reilly, his reputation alone, I thought maybe he would uh, he would have gone second. But for Matthews to get second, that that speaks a lot to how you know how how his game is not just a one way you know one way as people would say. I mean, you were going to have the Selkie conversation, um, but I think you know Matthews getting second that's pretty impressive. He had twenty one first place votes. How many did McKinnon have? 64. So, okay, well, I mean, that's actually not bad when you consider that Nathan McKinnon was probably the odds-on favorite. Who's the weird one? There's always a... What? Uh-oh. <laughs> Brayden Holby <laughs> received a, a Lady Bing nomination. How does a goalie receive a Lady know. Bing nomination? I don't know. That's why I was like, What? All right, Brayden Holpe is the odd one who received a nomination. I, I, Brayden Holpe received a, a like a first, first on the ballot. Not kidding. <laughs> well, I'm going to go ahead and assume that that was a Washington beat reporter, and that's kind of the silly thing that happens here with with mm-hmm. these ballots, where sometimes you know the the hometown guys end up kind of voting for for their dudes. Like I know, taking a look right now at, at the Lady Bing. Uh, Mm, who else is here that's kind of like really i don't know like nylander had a few votes here which is interesting um joe thornton that makes sense like erica branson what branson had a lady bing nomination how do you give erica branson that but let's get back to the selkie one i i got preoccupied just because it was it was in front of me but um so for the selkie a couple of really interesting names here. Austin Matthews did end up with one first place vote um, and a couple of fifth place votes. So he came in second in Selkie nominating. And and 
I think that he will win a Selkie in the future. I think that Austin Matthews really showed some growth this year, especially on the defensive end of the ice. And I really do believe that one day Austin Matthews will be able to call himself a Selkie trophy winner. You know what? I mean, this is something that's been talked about a lot. Brendan Shanahan brought this up. I think Matthews has brought it up himself. I mean, Mike Babcock has made it a point in saying that he thinks Matthews has a lot to offer defensively. And I, I you know, the thing is that he doesn't get the penalty kill minutes that I, I'm, I'm not, I'm pretty sure Picaturia plays penalty kill for uh, the Flyers. Yeah. Otherwise, he wouldn't get the reputation he gets as a, uh, um, you know, as a Selkie nominee, but I think Matthews has come a real long way, and I think that's going to be probably the biggest evolution of his game because we already know he can score goals, uh, like like he like so easily that this is probably the part of the game that you know you you can see him improve in as you mature and you under kind of understand how you know how players how you especially going up against uh, the top opposing players. I just remember one, there was a game against Anze Kopitar, who, again, is a very reliable two-way player. I'm pretty sure he's won the Selkie before. Oh, yeah. You know, and Austin Matthews, as good as he was offensively, I think, in that game, he was even that much better defensively to shut down Anze Kopitar. So that, that right there, it shows an evolution in his game that made him deserving of the pay raise that he got. And, and when people kind of say, oh, you're paying this much for a guy who scores goals, I'm like, well, you, then you're not really looking at the other things that Matthews does. And I feel like maybe what will get him to take his game to the next level is if he offers a little more of that physical style. You know, he as a guy who has, you know, a bigger body, he's able to use his body position in a certain, you know, in a way to knock guys off the, uh, knock the puck off of players. And you know he's got a good, a de- you know he's got that desire to come back, back check, and you know break up scoring chances. We've seen it from him. It's just it's got to be more consistent, I think, from him, from him, and he can get into that conversation eventually. Yeah, he's still so young and has so much, uh, so much more to grow. Like as as much of a leap he took this season, I think he's got some more to get to his ceiling, which. It really does seem like he he's a guy who not only can get to his ceiling, but actually burst through that ceiling and be an even better player than I think we all envisioned. I, I know that he's certainly uh, for me this year. I, he was better than I better than I envisioned. Like he at certain points of this season, like you said, consistency still is something that needs to get there. I think that'll come with time. But there are points in this year where I'm like, God, this guy really does look like a top five talent in this league. He really does. Sorry, I had my my NHL volume come in a little bit there. Um, yeah, no, I mean th- this is the thing with the Leafs in general. I mean, we've seen at times when they need to play that tight game that they can do it. It's just you need to do it more consistently. And I think the best way to do that, honestly, your top players lead by example. You know, we we talk about guys that they can add in to try to improve the team defensively. I'm like, well, it also comes with. Your the guys you have playing twenty minutes a night, making the commitment to play a two way game. One other Maple Leaf made it on the uh, Frank J. Selkie voting list, and that was Mitch Marner received a fifth place uh, vote. I assume probably from a fellow Toronto media member uh, within the market. 
I actually think I, I think Kevin McGrath admits that he might have been the one to do it, but he says it's been so long since he, they put in the ballot that <laughs> he, he doesn't remember per se. But I, I I would I would think that it's a Toronto writer for sure. Yeah, I don't. I would assume so as well. Interestingly, though, no Connor McDavid on this list. Didn't get a single vote. Not even a top five vote. Not even from an Edmonton reporter, which I found to be very fascinating. They're very hard on. I feel like the Edmonton media can be a little hard on Connor McDavid at times. Well, Nuge is in here, Drysital is in here, but no McDavid. You know, this is the thing. McDavid, he's just such a dynamic player, um, and I'm pretty sure I've heard him say that he would like to be in the conversation to get some selkie votes. I think every single hockey player would love to be in the conversation. Like, if you are. Are cons- uh, clearly a talent like that who can score at will pretty much, and you can get some Selkie votes. Like I think at that point he knows that he can score. He knows he can win a Hart Trophy and Art Ross, all that. If he can also win a Selkie, I think that would be something that would be more of a challenge for a player like him, and almost more of an honor, wouldn't you think? Oh, of course. I mean, this is the thing. Like a player like McDavid who has the drive to be one of the best players in the world, knows that it only happens if he's recognized as a guy that can play both ends of the ice. You know, like Sidney Crosby, we we always talk about how he's the best player in the game because he can play in any situation and be dominant and just do the things that your the team needs from him to win. And that's what you expect from Conor McDavid as well. For him not to get a Selkie vote, it's it's... Maybe maybe people just don't see him as a good defensive player. Uh, I I mean I, that's probably a little unfair just because, you know, when he is on the ice, t- other teams are not scoring a lot. Yeah, and mostly because they're too busy defending him. Well, yeah, they're all in the other other end. Like, yeah. That's that's pretty much why. And you know, the best defense is a good offense. The best offense is a good defense. It's kind of weird how that works, but. It is what it is. Um, all right, man. Let's let's leave it right there. That was a good conversation. Um, that's going to do it for us here today on the podcast. I'd like to thank you all for listening and supporting the show. You can subscribe to the Locked On These Podcasts on all podcasts and platforms. And receive daily Leaves content. Follow myself on Twitter at Mickey underscore Canuck. Follow the show at Locked On Leaves. And follow Dave at D underscore Morisuti. Uh, Dave, got anything coming out for us recently that we should be keeping an eye on? Uh, not as much on the hockey side. I mean, there. I I will be looking to do some uh, some off season stuff. You know, with the Leafs, I'm kind of waiting to see what happens with their first round pick and whether or not I actually actually have to write about whether they're going to use that pick or if they're going to trade it away. Um, but I, I'm also going to be di- diving into some NFL stuff because that is back. Uh, it's one of my favorite things to cover, and I'm going to be looking to add some Canadian content out there for anybody who likes to hear about some good old Canadian players in the NFL looking to do a monthly series on that for Sportsnet so uh, keep on the eye for that nice a little a little Neville Gallimore little Chase Claypool you know guys like that that are the next wave of Canadian talent in the NFL whatever you do you still gotta talk about uh, Laurent Duvernay Tardif I know he's not playing in the NFL this year because well, he's decided to join the front lines and, and use his doctorate degree that he earned at the University of McGill 
to uh, help and uh, combat COVID. So uh, if you can end up reaching out to him and get a story done with him, I, I that'd be fantastic because I'd love to hear what he's been up to over the next little bit. I think I heard actually that he's going to be looking to go to Harvard uh, Med School, actually. Uh, he's going to be taking some classes online there throughout the fall instead of playing football. So, you know, that's a guy who's got his priorities straight, man. I got nothing but respect for uh, for Duvernay Tardif. Won himself a Super Bowl, and now he's going to go and try and cure the world. Like, how can you not love a guy like that? Like, like actually, though, like he's, he's an amazing humanitarian, and uh, there needs to be more stories written about this guy. All right, uh, let's leave it there, man. Dave, thanks so much. Uh, that, was, that was a lot of fun. That was a good conversation. If you guys want some more Hockey Talk, be sure to check out the Locked On NHL podcast where myself and four other Locked On hosts discuss the latest around the National Hockey League. I'll be back with another episode for you on Monday. But until then, enjoy the weekend and keep it locked right here on Locked On Leafs.